Good morning. Hello. There we go. Fantastic. Well, there are some people here this morning that made it through the crowds, that managed to get out of bed and say, you know what, maybe there is a way through the traffic and to the church. There is a way, there was a way, and you here. Fantastic. Great to see you. Um, we continue this morning. My name is Stan. For those that don't know me, I have met one or two new people this morning. It is great to meet you. And um, it really is good. And slowly but surely, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand over here and then let the oaks come this way. And then I'm going to stand over there and then they make this this way. And then they want me to move this forward because they're used to pulling it that way. But they just need to put it on the preset thing and then it'll go there. And then there we go. There we go. It's very complicated, this technology. There we go. Thank you, Randy. And the other is there. Guru. But um, I'm so excited about this. I love the worship this morning. What absolute sweet. Friends, when we sing about Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit invades the place. It's like we, are, we get onto the mission of the Holy Spirit. And that is to, to make Jesus known and to, 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 to fill our hearts with the, with the vision of Jesus that is absolutely magnificent. And uh, this morning I'm, I'm really excited to continue our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And um, so if you want to turn there, we're going to look at the first few verses. I'm going to read the first five or six verses. And uh, I kind of wanted to go verse one and then verse two and then kind of work through it, but... I kind of want to jump forward and then when I preach again and then I want to jump back again because I kind of think it's relevant to do that the way I'm going to do it this way. So let's just, let's just read Thessalonians 1. I'm going to read one from chapter 1 verse 1 through to the end of verse 5. So it starts off with Paul and Silas and Timothy. So we did a whole thing last, yes, last week on the context of this. So it is quite important when you are studying the scriptures, when you're studying a book of the Bible, it's not the, a book, every book in the Bible comes in its own context. Um, it's written for a reason to a specific group of people. And you really do need to understand why it was written, when it was written, um, the intent and the, the kind of the, the mandate upon the writer, why they were writing that book. Otherwise you you really do flounder to understand why they say some of the things they, they say. And then sometimes in different books, you kind of think, well, hang on, is this guy a bit schizophrenic? Because he says one thing in this book and then a different thing in that book, and they, are, are they confused with what they mean? But often that's because it's contextual, and they're writing this to this because they're struggling with the problem here, but it's a different problem here, so he's writing something to them. So it really is important to understand that and to, to read up a bit. And the best way of doing that, if, you, if you've got a little study uh, Bible, is to go to the intro. There's normally a, a paragraph or something like that where it tells you what the, wh what the reason for this book is. And, and then obviously if you want more detailed study, you can, you can go into it. But that's kind of a very brief kind of intro into the book. And we did a little bit of, a, a bit of that last week where we spoke about how... Paul came to Thessalonica, and I, if you can just put that little map on again, um, sorry uh, for doing that to you, I wasn't going to do this, there's a map, we actually, I actually improved the map, I made the numbers bigger, so that you can see it better, see there, 
So we, we, we overlaid the map and just made the numbers bigger because somebody said we can't read the numbers. Anyway, and then we made some of the key cities a little bit more bolder, so we just overlaid the existing map. There's not great maps available actually online. And uh, we spoke about how Paul was on a journey, his second journey, and he went through Asia. He was stopped from going into Bithynia by the Spirit, and so he went to Troas, which is number 17 there, and he had a vision of the Macedonian man calling him to come for help. And so he went to Philippi. He went to Philippi, and he met a lady called Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth, and went into a prayer meeting there. A church was begin, began to be established there, and people began to give their lives to Jesus there. And um, there was a, a young girl that Paul cast the spirit out of, and the, oh, there was a slave girl. And the problem is her, her, her owners didn't, weren't very happy with that because their form of income was that she used to prophesy because of this demonic spirit on her. And so he took the spirit, cast the spirit out of her. Now there was no, no income generator there. So they caused an uproar and they chased Paul out of Philippi. And he eventually goes through to the next city and eventually lands in Thessalonica, which is number 19 on the map. And there he starts preaching the gospel there. He goes and for, says three Sabbaths, three, Sunday, three Saturdays, three Sabbaths, he, he preached the gospel in the synagogue and you don't know if it's consecutive Sabbaths or whether they're Sabbath here and a Sabbath there. Kind of uh, theologians and commentators will, will, will say different things. But the point is it's a very short time and he preaches the gospel there. And it starts to take effect and starts to take root. Some Jews again get jealous and they cause an uproar and they chase him out. So Paul is always preaching the gospel and because of the gospel it causes, causes a stir and they chase him. And eventually he goes down to Berea, which is number 20. Eventually, then he moves down to 21, which is Athens. And in the process, he's going down there and he sends Timothy and Silas back to Thessalonica. Um, and he says this because he says, he says, I'd rather be alone in Athens. At least I can find out what, how you guys are doing. Remember that he's only been in Thessalonica for such a short amount of time. So a few months, like if that and um, preach the gospel there and there's persecution there and there's jealousy there and there's all sorts of things happening there and he's worried that these people are not going to be able to stand up to the persecution and all that's happening there so he sends Timothy and Silas back there and he carries on to Athens and then he moves on to Corinth which is number 22 and in Corinth Timothy and Silas come and they catch up to him and they bring him the news of Thessalonica and the first part of the book of Thessalonians is their feedback around how well they are doing and so the first chapters are this how well they're doing and then they say listen but they are doing well but they have got a couple issues they've got they're kind of confused around sex they're confused around the second coming of Jesus they're confused around they're not they're thinking Jesus is coming back so they all stopped working so Paul says listen unless you work you're not going to eat the best thing to do is to live a quiet life, to work hard so that you can be a blessing to others. We're going to preach about that. That's in the book. And um, so he kind of, he's got a couple of issues that they've got, but, they, but generally they're doing well. And he, and he kind of writes this book back, this letter back to them now and sends it back with Timothy. And it's written in the very first days of his ministry in Corinth. So his ministry to the, to the Corinthians it's, he writes it from Corinth back to the, to the Thessalonian church. So let's, this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, a quick overview of why we're here. 
I'm not going to do that next week. We're just going to jump straight in. To the church of Thess- the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our Lord, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. That's the end of verse 5. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of... You welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So they write this letter back and there's some wonderful preaching of the gospel there, which is what I want to get to today. He says these words, he says, our gospel came to you. Now when he says our gospel, he doesn't mean it was Paul's gospel different to everybody else's. In fact, the gospel is, he, off, he sometimes says the gospel in his letters. Sometimes he even says my gospel. But in this case, he says our gospel, as in Timothy, Silas, and my gospel, our gospel. So whether you get it from Timothy or Silas or me, it's the gospel we are preaching to you. He's, got, he's taking ownership. He's so confident in the gospel and so bold in the gospel that when he stands up and talks about it, he can talk about it as my gospel, as the gospel, but also our gospel. And so I want to talk about my gospel, the gospel, and our gospel this morning. Because I think when we start to see the fruit of the way he preached the gospel in such a short amount of time and what it produced in these, this group of believers, in this very newly planted church, You see, when the gospel gets preached, churches get planted. People get saved. When the gospel gets preached, people get saved. When people get saved, they huddle into groups. They learn from each other. They they begin to find each other and they they form gospel communities. They form these, these, these kingdom communities called churches. And those churches exist for the sake of the king. But they exert also what happens is the life of God is upon them and they begin to ring out and they become this irresistible force on the earth to take the name of Jesus and the gospel around the farthest reaches of the, church, of the world. And this is what happened in this church. Such a short moment of gospel preaching produced this incredible, irresistible church in the region. That's why we've called the series Irresistible Church. How a port city, does that sound familiar? The Thessalonian church, the Thessalonica was a port city. How a port city influenced the region with the love of Jesus. It says the gospel rang out from you. I was, I was looking at those words. This, this is not now in my preach now. This, this was, I was looking at those words. You know when it says you're resenting, you, you make a sound, if you, unless, you, unless you've got, in 1 Corinthians, unless you've got love in your heart, you're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's like you make this noise. It's kind of a noise, 
but when it says ringing out from you, it's that, but it's an amplified noise. It's a bigger word than that noise in the Greek. He says you resound like a boom. You're booming out with the gospel. After preaching for so short, Jesus has so taken effect in these people's lives that their lives are booming out into the region beyond. And remember, there's no tech. There's no, there's no Wi-Fi. There's no social media. There's no radios. There's no comms over the lines. How is it booming out? How is Macedonia and Achaia coming to know the gospel? How are they coming to know about their faith? How they, how's the Lord's message? How's the gospel getting out into the, into the whole region? How? It is by people that are on fire for Jesus setting other people on fire for Jesus. That is how it is happening. The gospel is so taking effect in these people's lives that they are resounding, they're, they're, they're booming out. Wherever they go, they are lighting fires for the kingdom. This is the gospel that was preached there. That's what I want to look at this morning. What was the gospel? How did it take effect? What gospel did he preach? There. So let's have a look at that. So, it says there, For we know, brothers and sisters, in verse 4, love by God that he has chosen you. We know, we know that it is real what has happened to you. We completely know that this thing is real. We saw it happen with our own eyes. In verse 2, there's, a, there's your, 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 working, your working faith and your laboring love. And your enduring hope are fruits of this. We're going to get into that next time. But I know this is real because, in verse 4, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you. So right there are a few things how this gospel came to the Thessalonians. It's probably helpful to understand what did he preach when he was there? Even before we get to those verses, what did he preach? Well, probably the most accurate way that we can understand what he preached there, remember I said that he was in Corinth in the very early days of him getting to Corinth when he wrote this letter to back to the Thessalonians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is written a few years later, but this was, he writes this. This is what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse one. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So this was the gospel he preached to the, Thess to the Corinthians. But this is the same time that he was writing to the Thessalonians. Do you make the connection? So this would have been the gospel that he preached to the Thessalonians as well. This is what he preached. This is the gospel that, never mind the, how he preached it, but this is what he preached to the Thessalonians. This is a good idea of what he preached to the Thessalonians. In verse 3 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. He says this. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what he preached. Friends, we have so complicated the gospel. He preached Jesus. He preached about Jesus. When you preach about Jesus, the Holy Spirit invades the room because the Holy Spirit's job is to exalt Jesus. When you worship about Jesus, the Holy Spirit's job is to exalt Jesus so he invades the room and begins to work. When he was in, in, in Thessalonica, he just preached Jesus. He preached Jesus, preached that Jesus died for our sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again. That Jesus died and paid the price for everything that was faulty and sinful, whether we know it or whether it was conscious or subconscious, or everything that was wrong about us and everything that was wrong about humanity, Jesus paid the price for. And that he was buried, that that was taken to the grave, and that a new beginning came with the resurrection of Jesus. And that every one of us, when we put our faith in Jesus, have a new beginning in him. It's like being born again, the scriptures say. A new beginning, a new start, and a new source. He preached this to them. Friends, don't forget the gospel. Don't forget that what we have is Jesus. Don't forget that what we have is Jesus. It's Jesus that sets us free. It's Jesus that forgives our sin. It's Jesus that gives us back our value. It's Jesus that honors us. It's Jesus that, that, puts, that showers us with the love of God so that we can understand the love of a father. It's Jesus that reconciles us back to the father. It's Jesus that's the, that is the king. It's Jesus that puts us into the kingdom and uses us into the kingdom. It's Jesus that gives us gifts and graces us with gifts so that we're available to use in the kingdom and in the church and beyond. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. He preached Jesus. The good news, the gospel is this. It's the good news of what God has done in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, especially in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the work that God has done in Jesus Christ and especially in the crucifixion and resurrection, that he was buried, that he died, that he was buried and he, died and he rose again. Don't forget the simplicity of the gospel in your life, in our lives. Don't complicate the gospel. It's a historical fact. The gospel is a historical fact. It's news. It happened. It's the hinge of history. When Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus died, there was, there was, a, there was darkness that covered the earth. It shook. The earth shook under the, under the weight of the Son of God dying on behalf of humanity and the whole cosmos. It was the hinge of history. Nothing was ever the same after Jesus died and rose again. What we have available on this side of the, of the resurrection of Jesus was completely different to what they had available to them on the other side of it. 
It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the reason why we have hope. It's the reason why we can be free. And remember, it's what Jesus has done. It's not what we have done. It's something that you receive. It's not something that you achieve. I want to remind you of the gospel that is yours. That Jesus, that God has put in place so that we can find him again. So that he wants us to be reunited, reconciled. Not just reunited, but reconciled with him. Where there's nothing in between him and us. We can have intimacy with him that you can call him daddy. Intimate. Unthinkable in the day to be able to talk to God like that. Think of Paul talking to Timothy. This is how simply he put the, the, the gospel to Timothy. In 2, chapter, 2 Timothy 2 verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. It's like three things. Remember Jesus Christ, number one, big idea. Raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Remember Jesus, this is the gospel. The gospel is called the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God in different places. It is Jesus raised from the dead. That is the good news. He has been made Lord of all again. All authority is back to him again. And we, his children, who've put our faith back in him, have delegated authority on earth from heaven to live out the life of regaining and taking back territory that is his. That's our, that's our inheritance. That's our portion. And we do that. And you cannot understand the gospel until you know the love of God. Because it was because of love that he sent his son. The gospel ethic is one of love. It's not one of anger and wrath. It's because God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It's because he loved us. He wanted intimacy. He wanted us to be together. I want us to remember the gospel. Because it's this gospel that's got to ring out from you. And let me tell you, if the gospel's bad news, it will not ring out. You'll keep it hidden. You won't believe it. And for some reason, the gospel to some of us has not become good news anymore. It's become old news. If it's not bad news. We've taken it for granted. Oh, I do this thing, go to church and... Good news, friends. It's overwhelmingly heavenly good news. It's eternal news. There's no better thing that can happen to you than understand and be united with the Father through the love of Jesus. Nothing, nothing compares. There are moments in worship this morning when we're singing those songs when I think, God, is this, can it get better? Like there's such a sense of the presence of God. I'm weeping tears down my eyes. Lord, please, Lord, can you just take us now? I know it's for a moment. And then we get back into taking out the rubbish, which then they don't collect and the monkeys are messing with it. And it's like, oh, Lord, please, God. You know what I mean? Imagine not having that moment. 
Imagine not putting your face, not having a moment where you can put your head through the veil and just begin to see and breathe. Even if it is just for a moment and say, God, can we have this for more and longer? The gospel. The gospel isn't a context. It's according to the scriptures. Descended from David, it means it's in a context. The context is the story of Israel. The, the, Jesus is the, is the Messiah. It's Israel's Messiah. It's the awaited Messiah that's bringing all things back. It's not just some arbitrary dude. It's a bigger story that we're part of. It's not, just, it's not just a kind of an isolated, well, now we have this. No, this is a story that, that people have been waiting for for thousands of years, praying into. When Jesus was born and taken to, the, to be circumcised, there were people waiting there. They'd spent their whole life at the temple waiting, hoping that the Messiah would come. In their day, they were old man and an old lady waiting. Could this be, could I be the one that sees them? Jesus comes in and instantly they know this is the one. They fall to their knees. This is the one. The long-awaited Messiah. When that baby becomes old news to us, friends, we're in trouble. To become post-Christian is way worse than to be pre-Christian. To be offended by the church. To be offended by whatever it is. Stop being offended. Let's get a love for Jesus again that's like it was in the beginning. Where Jesus is everything. I need to move on. How was the gospel preached? How was this gospel preached? Well, it was preached with words. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4. Our gospel came to you with words, but not just with words, but it came to you with words. Words are important, friends. How do people know the gospel unless words are preached? Got to explain the gospel. Got to talk to people about the gospel. It's words of truth. You see, the gospel has specific content. They're not just arbitrary words. They're words that tell the story. They're words that, that conflate and intersect with your story that change your story, that pivot your story into a good news story, it's, but they're words. This is why it's important that the gospel is well articulated and well verbalized. It's not only words, it can be visualized, it can be dramatized. Images sometimes are more powerful than words, but even images need to be interpreted by words. Words matter. The words we use are matter. And that's why I think what happens in the generations in our ages, in the age generations, generation, millennial, Gen X, Gen Z, da 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 da, is you need younger people to be preaching the gospel in their words because the words they use connect with the generation. But it's still words and it's still their gospel. You don't change the gospel, you change the words that describe the gospel. But words matter. He preached it with words. But he also preached it in the power of the Spirit. 
You see, words without the power of the Spirit are just words. A great communicator can preach, can speak, doesn't change lives. It's amazing to listen to. You think, wow, that was incredible, but it doesn't change your life. This gospel has an ability to change your life if you put your faith in it. This gospel has an ability to, if you say, I believe that, if you say, come and let it, it, it changes your life. So it's power, it has power. So it says there, if you have a look, it says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So it says there with power. You see, you need power to get through to people. And when you see the people, he says he was speaking in the synagogues, but, but it was a few people, kind of people that were not Jews, they were kind of God-fearing Gentiles, and a few women, they were, they were kind of on the outskirts that started to have this little revival in Thessalonica. So I don't even know how grounded in Judaism they were. They needed power. And probably the religious, uh, the religious group probably needed more power. Because you're so blinded by your religion and what you believe. And I think what he's talking here, commentators would say, he's talking about the, the power of the, of the internal operation of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the external power of signs and wonders, miracles. He's talking about the power of, of the of your words changing the mind and heart of somebody. Understand what I'm saying, the difference between the two? John Stott in, in, in the, his commentary on this says this. He says the word of God is the spirit's sword. And he gets that from Ephesians chapter 6, where it says the sword of, speaks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that we talk about the sword of the Spirit, but it, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So John Stott says, the Word of God is the Spirit's sword. So when, when you have faith, when you speak words with power, and you speak the Word of God, it becomes the Spirit's sword to cut to the heart of people's imaginations and thinking and processes. He also says this in his commentary, he says, the spirit without the word is weaponless and the word without the spirit is powerless. The spirit without the word is weaponless and the word without the spirit is powerless. It's never a, a discussion about word or spirit, friends. It's, it's this process of God by his spirit by his Holy Spirit coming upon the word of God, coming upon the, the agent, the, the speaker, the preacher, and allowing the Spirit of God to cut to the heart people. Comes with power. This was Paul, Paul's experience in Corinth as well, the same place that he wrote this letter from. He says, I didn't come to you with eloquence and human wisdom, I proclaim to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to know you with, in weakness and in trembling. He says, I preach to you Jesus. I relied on the power of God. Friends, 
When you speak the word of God, when you, do you believe when you use your words to convey God's truth, the Holy Spirit is upon you to allow people to believe? Not just from the pulpit, wherever you are. only by the power of the Holy Spirit that the word can penetrate people's minds and hearts and conscience and will. And Paul says, I know, I know for a fact this was real because I saw that happening among you. I know this is real. And you know it's real because it happened to you. I want to say to you, there's another, you've got to take another step. Make sure that it's real so that you can help it happen to others. Use your words to convey God's truth about Jesus in the power of the Spirit so that, you can, that they can be cut to the heart by the love of God. But it wasn't just with power, it was with deep conviction, with full assurance. When I first read this, I thought, was it the Thessalonians that were cut with deep conviction? Or was it Paul, because some translations say full assurance. Was it Paul that preached with full assurance? It's quite interesting, when you get into the Greek, it looks like it probably is Paul when he preached. He preached with full assurance. But probably you could say both. And be equally true. When the word of God is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, people are deeply convicted. So profoundly convicted that only if it only happened two or three Sundays and they are sold for God, they are sold for Jesus, they are burning. Wherever they go, they are talking about Jesus. They are living this, their lives are changing. Just amazing that God thanks God for them. Uh, Paul thanks God for them. They're not perfect. There's a whole lot of stuff that's still wrong for them, with them. But their lives are fundamentally realigned because they're burning for Jesus. But I think you could also say that it was Paul preached with full assurance. What does it look like for you to talk with full assurance about the gospel? Do we talk with full assurance about the gospel? See, Paul was confident in his proclamation. Friends, if the gospel becomes old news... The thing that suffers the most is our proclamation. We won't be confident. He was sure of his message, of its truth, of its relevance, of its consequence, and so was boldly proclaiming it, boldly talking about it. Is the gospel still good news to us? Is the gospel still exciting news to us? Does it still, do we still get warm and do we, do we still find Jesus Alluring? Do we still find Jesus attractive? Do we still find Jesus and the kingdom something that's, that we would die for? Is, do we still find that? Is that still the case? Or is it just old news? He also preached it with example. He says, I knew, you knew how I lived among you. You knew how I lived among you. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. How did Paul know what to do? He became an imitator of the Lord. 
Now these guys became an imitator of him and the Lord. So he preached this with boldness. He, it was first-hand revelation to him. It was, it was like it wasn't the second-hand old news kind of stuff. I've been doing this for 20 years, and you know what? It's life is hard, and, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it happens to you, but it doesn't happen to me. Living a little bit of prosperity gospel, a little bit of slot machine Jesus, couple prayers, shh, oh no, lucked out again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy? And at the end, at, at, in, in all of the universe, in all of history, who is worthy to open the scroll? Only one. Only one is able to unlock the plans and the purposes of God. Looks like a lamb that was slain. His name is Jesus. He's not old news. He's powerful, good news. And he always will be for eternity. What would your life look like? What would my life look like if we were deeply convicted, if we had full assurance of the power of the gospel? What would our personal walk with Jesus look like? Would we continue to be trying? Would we be learning to, to receive what he's given us? What he's given us? Would we move from shame to honor? We learn to move that actually God has given us, God's put created value back in us. What about just, would we continue to try and achieve what Jesus has already given us? What would our prayer life look like if the gospel was deeply formed? Full assurance. Full assurance. For me, I think that's the thing. I think, Lord, I think I probably would spend way more time praying if you believed that Jesus was who he was and he could affect who he could affect. And I was able to hear him be with him and be his agent on this planet to affect his love for those around me. Prayer. I think our witness would be so powerful and so confident. Kind of not this half embarrassed where we're too scared to say Jesus so we say God. We're too scared to say God so we say don't you want to come to church? Jesus is the center of my very being I live and move and have my being in him without him I have nothing without him I am nothing I can move mountains I can, I can, I can speak in the tongues of angels but without the love that comes from him I am nothing 
Jesus. And lastly, I think if we were completely overwhelmed by this assurance of Jesus, I think we would put pay to every program, trick, method, personality, harp that we have in the church because you wouldn't need it. Jesus would be enough because Jesus never, ever, ever battled to draw a crowd. Wherever Jesus was, the crowds were. He had to get away from the crowds. So we put methods on display and we have evangelism programs and we have this. I think this Thessalonian church was so powerfully ministered by the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They became this irresistible force in the region that just shared the love of God wherever they went. What happens if we just got back to everybody, everybody is an instrument in God's hand, is an agent in the kingdom of God, is, is part of this process, and we didn't have a seeker-sensitive church and attractional church and this kind of church and method this and program that and personality harp and big gift this and actually it was just the whole church operating. Imagine that. You don't have to imagine it. This is what happened here. This is what happened here. My dream that that's what would happen here and that people would come here and say, how does this thing work? Especially with that oak up front. And we'd be able to say, you know what, it never was that guy up front. And I tell you what, it wasn't even those guys on the seats. It was that guy above. His name's Jesus. Bless you. Bless you. Father, put your hand upon your church, Lord. Jesus, I pray that you would bring people back to you this morning. I pray that you would call people back to you this morning. I pray people where you have become old news. I pray that you again become good news. I pray where people whose hearts have become old and cynical and grumpy and offended and just, Father, you are unoffendable, Lord God. We want to have that heart, Lord. Father, those that have never met you, Lord, I pray there would be an excitement this morning to meet you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that you would, with full assurance, Lord God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, something in us this morning, Lord God, even as we lifted your name up in worship this morning, Lord God, you could feel your tangible presence, Lord, that we would become that irresistible church, Lord, that even church planting wouldn't be a program that we do, it would be just be a fruit of what happens when the church does its thing. Just thank you for that, Lord God. Radical salvations, Lord God. Wherever we are, Lord God, during the week, seven days a week, thank you for your love, Lord God.
Thank you for making yourself known to us, Lord God. Will you help us make your name known to many others around us? In Jesus' name. Father, for those that don't know you, this morning, Lord God, Jesus says, the Bible says, if you call on his name, he will come. He will forgive. He will restore. Nothing that you've done that is irredeemable in his hands. For those of you that have walked away from God, Jesus has become old news. Maybe he's even become bad news. God wants to say that actually I am good news. I'm the gospel. Thank you for that in your incredible name. Amen. Bless you guys.